kids leave to go somewhere or whatever when they get home, how excited I am to see them. Um, I know that's how he is with us, which is kind of cool. Um, give it up for the band. I'm a little prejudiced. My wife's up there. Stephen's up there. I got my youth up there worshiping for the Lord. Serving. Who? Travis was up there? Was he up there? No, it was just Mikey, Serena, and Nola. No, not Carly, Carly. That was prophetic. Was it? Oh, all right. Um, so yeah, that's all it was, was youth up there, actually. I don't remember seeing Serena anymore, just Mikey and Carly. Good job, guys. Um, so this is my first time to actually preach since we've gotten back from camp. Um, yeah, actually preached up here. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's funny that, uh, that this is my first time because I've, uh, I've had, I've known that I wanted to share a little bit of my side from camp um, because if y'all weren't here that Sunday that we had a five-hour service, uh, the, all, all the youth had these amazing encounters. I don't know if y'all were here or not, but for those of you that weren't, we were here until the laughter one uh, because they were just, they were excited. They had just had an encounter with their father. Um, and what's really cool with the whole stories that they told, uh, if some of you made it through the end, um, the encounters that happened, one of the things I wanted to tell y'all is that Almost all of the big encounters happened in about a 30-minute time frame. All right? Think about that. All those encounters, you know, talking about seeing the, going to the throne room, talking about being delivered, talking about feeling the presence of God, talking about, you know, getting called out from the stage with, you know, 2,000 campers there. All that happened in, what, 30 minutes? Everybody's big encounter happened in about a small 30-minute time frame. Um, mine happened in the same time as well. Um, it was the last day of the camp. Um, Ava got called out from the stage. She got stood up. As they were talking, Ava got slain in the spirit right there in the, in the, in the, in the aisle. And in that presence, they went into their worship, but they didn't turn the lights down. They didn't do this big thing. It was at the end. It was more just prophetic stuff. Well, I just love that the lights were on. There wasn't like any, coaxing's not a good word, but nobody cared what was going on around them. Um, and when she went down, you know, everybody was like, yeah, let's go. And then we went into this worship session, like, and about a 30-foot circle from where she, was, where, she, where she went down at, the Spirit of God rested in that place. And I've never experienced this in my entire life. Um, you know, I've encountered the manifest Holy Spirit. I've encountered Jesus. I've encountered, you know, a lot of things. But in that moment, I really felt the presence of God Almighty himself rest in an area. All right. People were trying to get to the altar. And as they would walk close to where we were, they would fall out. Nobody touched them. They were coming into this cloud where the Father was resting. Let me tell y'all something, dude. And that was not anything that Ava did. It wasn't anything that Zoe did or Logan or T 
Terry or TJ or Joel or even them. It was a collective group of people saying, you know what, all week we're going to work hard, we're going to get into his presence, and we're going to cry out for our Father, and he showed up. And it was such a cool experience to be a part of. Um, I mean, them kids, (laughs) they laid hands on me and Serena at the end of it, and it was just... I mean, I have never encountered anything like that in my entire life. I've had, I've been prophesied over, I've been, I have been prayed over on foreign seas and big congregations, but the most powerful move of this presence I've ever had in my body was from these kids, by far, because of what they were able to do. I just think it's, I, I, I've been wanting to tell y'all all that, but, but it tied in so much with what I wanted to preach on, and I've had this message for a while now, been trying to get it to where I can deliver it in a way that you understand it, because I'm a little scatterbrained at times, I'm a little over here, I'm a little over there, I'm a little over here, and then sometimes I don't get it out in the right way, and it's like, what was he trying to say? Today, I'm going to do my best to get it in a good, fluid interpretation. So we have that camp experience, right? We have a mountaintop experience. We have a, a burning bush moment, if you will. And God is there. He is as evident as he has ever been in everybody's life. We come back that Sunday and have a blowout service. I mean, we went till one. I know that the, the, the worship went long, so then everything else had to go long because the Spirit showed up. And since that time... I'm not sure if y'all are aware, and I'm sure that most of you are, so I'm not on my email specific, but the church, the leadership, the youth have been under a constant attack. We're in what they call a valley, guys, right? We are in what we call not the mountaintops. All right, so uh, I leave camp. I got back from camp here uh, on a Friday night me and Serena washed our clothes. We had church Sunday. We flew out Tuesday morning to go to Arizona and then to Los Angeles to spend some time with our family. Um, amazing trip. First time I've ever been to Arizona where the desert is, and it was like 192 every day. People couldn't, their air conditioners wouldn't drop below 79 because that's as, it's as cold as they could get it. I'm sweating. I'm dying. It was great. I hate Arizona now. Um, so we leave Arizona, we fly into uh, Los Angeles, no, we actually fly into Bakersfield, so we're in California, and uh, spend time with her family there, so it was her grandma's 70th birthday, if you're listening, grandma, we love you, um, 70th birthday party, we get to that party, and the church that they were having at, the air conditioner went out, so <laughs> dear Lord, we got, we got hit with the air conditioner, for the record, we come back to Louisiana, and the air conditioner was out. Oh my gosh, at my house, my air conditioning unit's been going in and out, been blowing the breaker. John, I'm going to call you, I promise. I know, I need to get a new one. Don't tell everybody, John, I'm trying. But we're in LA, uh, or no, we're in Bakersfield. And for those of you that don't know um, what I do for a living, I used to be a banker, commercial, commercial banker, consumer banker, and I transitioned into a job at Louisiana Land Bank where I primarily lend for agricultural purposes. Um, 
in our area, it's really just hunting tracks and timber and stuff like that. I got a little bit of farmland and stuff like that, but I do a lot of training on agriculture. And so since I've been in there, I'm just like super in, like interested in it because that's what I do 40 hours a week. Um, and so we're in Bakersfield and like I just see cropland everywhere. Like little known fact, Bakersfield is the number one producer of almonds in the world. Weird stat, I don't know. Um, so we leave to go from Bakersfield and we drive the scenic route. I call it scenic, it was just the interstate, but we drive the scenic route back into LAX. And we're driving, and I wish I would have taken a picture. I gave them, the, I gave them some pictures, um, and it's going to be picture, you can, you can go ahead and put picture three up there. But we're driving, and as far as I can, on the interstate, and this is like two and a half hour drive. That's a terrible picture in comparison to what it actually is. As far as I can see on either side of the interstate, I'm talking miles and miles and miles on the left, on the right. You see the, you see the cropland, and then behind it, what do you see? These mountains. You look on the other side of the interstate, as long as far as you can see, it's just irrigated cropland and mountains. We are in what they're called the San Fernando Valley. Actually, San Joaquin, San Joaquin Valley. Um, there's a lot of valleys in California. You can actually put picture number two up there if you want to. There's another picture, but uh, I don't think this one's, this one's as good. Yeah, there we go, yeah. So for, that's a long ways, by the way. It doesn't look like it's that far. Mountains look like they're not that far because I was, yeah, I'm driving the interstate and I'm looking. I mean, it looks like we're about to hit the mountain. I'm like, baby, the, this interstate's going to die. We're going to go through a tunnel through this mountain. She's like, no, it like goes through it. I'm like, what you mean? Um, but we're in the middle of this, this valley. We're in a valley. That's what we are. We are literally in a valley. And I'm looking at all this cropland, and I'm like, man. And then God gave me a message driving on the interstate. And I, gave, I told Serena what it was going to be, what, three months ago. And I've been trying to do a little bit of research and study and trying to tie some scriptures back. But as he told me, he said, do you see any crops on the top of the mountains? He said, he said, the crops are all in the valley because in the valley is the most fertile soil. So what you do in the valley makes more of a difference than what you do on the mountaintops. So that's what this whole thing's about, guys. So I want to give you a little bit of information about the valley and San Joaquin. It's really, really just California itself. Uh, go ahead and put a picture four up there. This is the only picture I really want to make sure y'all can see. It's really hard to tell from where y'all are. This is a topographical map of California. So if you can see, I wish I had one of those laser things. Yeah, so that little center strip is all a valley. You have high, highs and lows, and so... All of the cropland that is in California is in that little strip right there. There's no cropland on the, on the east or the west. It's all in the middle in those valleys. Because the San Joaquin and San Fernando Valley is, some of the, most fertile, is the most fertile ground in the United States. <clears throat> so I pulled up some stats that y'all are not going to be able to see, but I'm really, I, I don't like throwing stats out there and not giving y'all some reference. So I got all these stats from USA.gov uh, for the ag services side. So, um, uh, you can put picture one up there, I think. Yeah, one. Picture one. You're not going to be able to see it. But California, it represents 10.4% of all ag sales in the United States of America. That's $55 million in agricultural sales in the United States. They're up there at number one. 
I, I made the graph so you can see Louisiana, just give you a frame of reference. We're at 33, um, and we only do 4.2. Uh, so they're all the way up there at 55. Uh, number one, 10.4%. They are 10, actually I think that's in billions, but 10 billion more than the next closest state. And so you're probably thinking, yeah, well, it's because California is so big. All right, so I pulled up a different graph that showed the, um, you can go and put picture zero up there. Uh, this is, a, this is a graph that shows the number of acres that are registered as, as cropland in the United States by state. So at number one, you have Texas at 126 billion acres, and then you go all the way, or a million acres. You have to go all the way down to number 16 to find California. California has less than 25% cropland than Texas, and it produces 20 billion more in ag sales because that's how fertile the land is in California. Has nothing to do with the way that they're farming. Has nothing to do that, that they're smarter farmers. No, it's everything to do with the soil because the soil matters in farming. Whenever I do appraisals for buying cropland, they always ask me what kind of soil is it because it matters the value of the, of, the, of, the, of the dirt goes substantially higher if it is a valuable type of soil. Uh, again, I put for reference, because we're from Louisiana, number 33 is Louisiana, and we're 33 on the other one. Um, <clears throat> little known fact I did not do uh, pictures on, but in the Old Testament, you know, they're always, the Israelites are always doing what? Trying to get to the promised land. Because the promised land is is extremely uh, fertile soils and a you know lush lush place that's perfect for colonizing basically it had mountains to protect it from invaders on one side it had rivers on the other side and then a mountain on the other side well that's exactly why Israel and the promised land is the most fertile soil in the world because God said it was and I'm, this, is, this is not a biblical principle, this is just me, my, my opinion, is that God made the promised land fertile and protected it from certain areas, and God said that it was fertile, and so science had to fix or make it to where that's how it happens, right? You have thousands and thousands of years of soil erosion and nutrients going down from the mountains, down from the mountains, settling in this area, and then you had rivers that flowed through the middle of it, like the Jordan River. Rivers will flood, come back down, and all it's doing is making this soil extremely, extremely fertile. Um, I don't find it any coincidence that I left camp from a mountaintop experience, the biggest one I've ever had. And I go immediately and get this message uh, about being in a valley because I'm telling you, the valley has been here. We have been in the valley. We've been in a valley. And I want to I give a little, bit more, a little bit more of a context of what I'm talking about on a valley, mountain in a valley because it, be, it can be misconstrued. It can be given def different definitions. But the way in my context today, a mountain, a mountaintop, is an encounter that you have with, with your father. A real burning bush experience. 
all right? I'm not really going to talk too much about the climb getting up the mountain, because I know that's exhausting as well to get there sometimes. But for what we're talking about today, a mountain is an encounter with God, and a valley is the everyday life that we live, okay? It's important to know that in a valley, if you go too far between mountains, you have like a mountain, you know, a hundred miles that way and a hundred miles that way. It's not really a valley anymore. It becomes a desert. Because we were in Arizona and there were mountains that were spread way out, but there was no rivers. And it was desert. And the farther the mountains are, the bigger the storms can come through and wipe everything out. But the closer the mountains are, the more it protects the harvest, the more it protects the crops the more it protects from invasions like in the promised land. But the more that they're spread out, the, the easier it is for natural disasters to happen, which is one of the reasons why Oklahoma and South Louisiana, South, all of the Gulf part gets hit by hurricanes and you know we got tornadoes that get hit and so crops don't sustain near as well because over time they can lose an entire crop to a storm. They don't have that problem in California because the mountains protect them. We get back from the mountains, and the, and the enemy immediately comes to steal, kill, and destroy every encounter that you have. He tries to undermine your thoughts. He tries to undermine your experience. He tries to do everything he can just to, to, to take what it is. And <laughs> this is good. Whoever wrote these notes were really good. I forgot about this note. See, see, a silent church is a what? A dead church. All right, so if I say something that y'all agree with, it's all right to say something, because I kind of want to run when I talk about this one. I'm not going to, but this is good, guys. So the reason the enemy immediately comes after you get off the mountaintop is because he's not allowed on the mountain. He has to wait in the valley. He has to wait in your everyday life, because he can't go to the mountaintop. He's not allowed in the presence of the Most High. He has to wait for you to come down, and then what does he do? He comes in, he tries to take your joy, he tries to take your peace, he tries to take your patience. That's why in Psalms 23 it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? It doesn't say that if I walk through it, it says when I walk through the valley, because our life is not meant to be spent on a mountaintop, because on a mountaintop, there's no convict, there's no, there's no choice almost. If you get there, if you, if you, if you trek the mountain and you get up there, there's almost no, there's, there's no cares. Like you don't even want to leave the mountain. You don't want to come down. Who, who wanted to come home from camp after that? Not many. Well, I needed to, you know, get a good night's sleep because Jacob snored. But, you know, I want, I want to stay in those encounters forever. That's what heaven's going to be like. See, those encounters can literally be heaven on earth. But when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is supposed to be with you every step. And as you walk through these valleys, it matters what you do. Because the seeds that are sown, whether they're of God or whether they are not, the Word doesn't say if you reap Jesus, you reap more Jesus. It says whatever you reap, you sow. Meaning that if you get back from your mountain and you go back to your old life, what does the Word say about when you cast stuff out? It brings seven of his friends back. 
And so every time you come back from a mountain and you, you, you've uprooted what you had and you come back and you plant those old seeds, they, were, they, they bring a harvest bigger than before. Even if it's bad. Let's, 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 let's go to the Word. So <clears throat> Jesus had a lot of mountain, mountain experiences. He would go on literal mountains a lot. Um, and I've read through so many encounters, and I found the one that I want to talk today about more than, any, more than the other ones. Um, who's, read the, who's read the four Gospels, right? All right, so those of that read it have read the story I'm about to say three different times, if you've only read through it once, because it's written in Mark, it's written in Matthew, and it's written in Luke. All three wrote the exact same, uh, wrote about this exact, this exact same thing. It's called the Transfiguration of Jesus. And it's a lot of scripture, um, and I'm going to do my best to go through it and talk about how I feel it is. So what, so what, what you have here, you have, uh, you, can go ahead and, you can go ahead and put the first one. I'm, I'm, for those of you who are taking notes, I'm doing Luke 9, 28 through 44. It's a lot of scripture. Uh, for those of you that are also taking notes that want to read in the other, other, other ones, it's Matthew 17, 1 through 13, and Mark 9, 2 through 13. Um, but again, this is the transfiguration of Jesus. <clears throat> All right. About eight days later, Jesus took who? His three favorites, right? Peter, James, Peter, James, and John up to a mountain. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's important to right here that Jesus usually would go to the mountaintops by himself. He would go away. He would get alone, get away from the distractions. But in this exact example, all three different scriptures talk about Peter, James, and John going. And they all three get an encounter with God, and they get to go to the mountaintop experience with him. And I think that that is very important, that he didn't bring his whole posse up there. He didn't bring all 12. He only brought three, because when you go to your mountaintop experiences, I feel like you can get deeper with the people that you know are really close. I feel like if you really go into a, an intimate time, not talking about a Sunday morning, you go into an intimate time with God. Me and Serena have gone into the presence of God, just me and her before. And I think it's cool that's what Jesus did here. All right. Uh, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. And some of the other ones that said that his clothes became whiter than any man-made bleach. He was shining like the sun. His face was transformed. And then suddenly... Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep because they were tired from climbing that mountain. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory, the two men standing with him. Moses and Elijah were starting to leave Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, surprise, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters and memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We don't want to leave the mountaintops, right? We just want to build memorials. We want to just stay there forever. We don't want to leave. We want to come back to the same place. We want to go back and have those exact same encounters. We want to build a, 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 uh, a pathway, a, a, a docket to say, all right, if you do this, this, and this, we can go back to the exact same encounter. That's not what God, that's not what Jesus did. He said, but even as he was saying this, oh, here it comes, guys. A cloud overshadowed them, 
and terror gripped them as a cloud covered them. God the Father shows up. He says, Then there was a voice in the cloud that said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. And they didn't tell anyone that they had seen. See, other scriptures tell that Jesus said, Don't tell anybody about this encounter until, my, until I'm risen. So another two, it actually says, Don't talk about it until I'm risen from the dead and then speak of these things. All right, so that's, called, that's the transfiguration of Jesus. That's, that's, that's told the exact same way with different details on all three of those books. Also, all three of those books tell the next two stories that happen immediately after he gets down from the mountain. All right, he heals, he heals, he heals a little boy, and he prophesies that he is going to be overtaken uh, by his own people. All right. All three give those three stories in succession. And I think that that's important that all three of these books typically don't have that many identical stories and identical timelines because they wanted to give so many of Jesus' encounters. But I think it's so cool that they all talk about an encounter with Jesus and God in a, in a, in a mountaintop, and they come down from the mountain. Let's see what it has says. Verse 37, it says, The next day after they had come down the mountain, the next day it took them, it doesn't say how long it took them to climb the mountain, but we know it at least took them one full day to descend the mountain. So it wasn't just like a little hill. They, they climbed. On the next day they came down from the mountain on a large crowd was waiting on Jesus. As always, everybody's waiting. A man called out to him and begged him, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit is seizing him, making him scream. It throws himself into convulsions that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast the spirit out, but they couldn't do it. All right? So <laughs> Jesus comes down, and he left, his, he left his boys that's been seeing him deliver people, seeing him do all this stuff. He comes down from his mountain. He gets back in the valley. He gets back in his everyday walk. And immediately, immediately, the enemy comes at him. And the enemy comes at, has, had to come at Jesus like so many different ways because nothing worked, but he was trying his best. And I believe in this way, he was trying to undermine Jesus' uh, teachings, right? You left, your, you left your boys down here, and I got this demon that's just teasing with them. They can't cast him out. They don't know what to do. And we know Jesus got mad. Right? We know that he got angry. He threw some tables. He said some stuff a couple times, and he got frustrated. I'm not, I'm not going to go into the mind of Jesus, but I'll read exactly what he says, and you tell me if he was a little frustrated. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I put up with you? <laughs> then he said, bring your son here. <laughs> God got frustrated. I mean, Jesus got frustrated, Right? But he didn't allow it to affect him. He didn't get on to his disciples and start scolding them. Instead, he heals the boy. All right, so we'll, we'll go into it. It says, as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him on the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave, back to, gave him back to his father. All gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. Everyone was marveling at it. He was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of his enemies. That is not something that Jesus wanted to talk about at all. 
something that 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 that's that he knew his heart was going to be broken. He knew that the people that loved him the most were going to betray him in the end. I don't know about y'all, but if I knew that the people who love me more than anybody on this world, someone that I've spent mo- more time with than anybody else was going to betray me, my heart would be breaking. I would be devastated if I knew that Stephen Dickerson betrayed me to the point to where I'm going to get arrested and then murdered, and it was his fault. I wouldn't be as mad at the people. I would be heartbroken that my best friend had had hurt me that much. I mean, I get emotional thinking about it. I mean, it's a real thing, right? Think about the people you care about most, not necessarily your husband or your wife, and that, 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 that could happen easily as well. But think about that. Think about someone you care about going to just crush your soul. Literally. Well, not literally. His soul came back and came back. But that's a valley, guys. And so he gets off the mountain, gets disappointed in his disciples because they couldn't do it. And some of the other scriptures, it talks about, you know, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And he said, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Um, but he still educated them. He still showed them how to do it. He started sowing more seeds into them so that then years later, right, these disciples were casting demons out that they couldn't normally have cast it out. You know, um, you can put my quote up there if you want to. Uh, I, this is, uh, it says, mountaintops are intended to transform you by the glory of God and valleys are meant to conform you to be more like Christ. This is the, this is, this is the core of what I want to deliver today is that the mountaintops are only intended to transform you by the glory of God and that the valleys are meant to conform you to be more like Christ. I've counseled a lot of people over the past 12 years that me and Serena have been doing ministry. And, and if I've talked to you about this, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the other people. <laughs> but so many Christians today, they live a life of, of repetition in the things that they battle. And that's and 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 that's that's natural. I'm 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 not I'm not knocking that. But they go through those same hurdles. They 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 have an encounter with God, and then they just get right back in the middle of where they were, and they start battling. They start battling, and they eventually say, "I'm done with this. I'm gonna go back to God." And then they have another encounter, and then it's this vicious cycle of just repetition of either unworthiness or just being upset that they have to go through these valleys. For the longest time, I've given this same uh, visual analogy with people, and I'm going to give it to you today. I've actually got this. I've actually got an easel over here. Hold on. I really, really felt like I could do this more easily. <laughs> Sorry, those jokes are a little <laughs> bored. And <laughs> okay, I'll put it in front of the podium. 
don't try to erase what I'm doing. It's <laughs> uh, a good one, right? Yeah, I put it in front. All right, here we go. Yeah, perfect. Good. That was good. Now I will just stand here and give my lesson. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm just kidding. Um, on a serious note, Jessica, I just want to say thank you so much for letting me use this dry erase board. I just want to just, I want to mark her as being a definition. All right, I'm done, guys. All right. I feel like this is a bad spot. All right. So, I'm a math guy, and I'm glad Josh isn't here to get on to me, but... We're going to do a graph, all right? So we're going to have an X and a Y axis. Now on this side, we're going to have, let's call it mountaintop experiences, but we're going to call it like the presence, right? Where you can feel his presence. Is that how you spell presence? Sure. And at the bottom, we're going to do time. It will be our, our life, right? Time. <clears throat> and this is for the life of a Christian, all right? I'm going to give you what I have strived to do in my life and the, the knowledge that I give people to live their life by. I don't always do the best, but we'll start. <clears throat> I get saved right here, right? I feel the presence of God. I feel the conviction, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to now serve God. Immediately what happens? You go into a valley, and you live this valley, and then for me, I lived it for a pretty good while. I had some ups and downs. Had some ups and downs. Had a little up and a down. And then I went to college. And then, you know, I kind of, you know. Yeah. Why y'all laughing, all right? Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm going to tell y'all some more stories here. Then what happened? I dropped out of college for a year. Okay. Yeah, most of y'all didn't know that. <laughs> Uh, and then I went on a mission trip. I encountered God. Then I came back, and the world hit me. <laughs> and and I, I lived. I lived. I lived okay. I, I, I began to say, you know what? I'm going to continue to to try this life out. I'm going to continue to work. And I was going to church, trying. Had a little bit more encounters. I met a met a, met a girl here that I was ready to spend the rest of my life with. Got married, had another encounter with God, had a second mission trip, came back, had here, started doing a live, come back. I had a encounter on Homer Road that if y'all remember I had, where I healed a man uh, from uh, dying. He died basically, and I prayed that the demons leave, and he was fine. That was wild. Uh, immediately went right back down a little bit, and then had another crazy encounter. Come back down, live a little bit, just kind of live life, and then I decided to be youth pastor, and then I have another encounter. All right, you kind of see the process here, right? So, oh, I forgot about that whole encounter. Oh, that, all right, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm glad you said that because I was going to talk about that specifically. All right, so we'll call this long gap here a valley. Um, and this is my mountaintop experience. This is really what it looked like when I went to the hospital. So we would have, oh boy, this is fun, guys. 
That's not going to work. You know what? All right. So I would hit a low, and I would hit a high, and I would hit a low, and then I would hit a high, and then I'd hit a low, and then I'd hit a high, and then I'd hit a low, and then I'd hit a high. That's really how my life was when we were in the hospital. For those of you who don't know, Serena spent over 100 days in the hospital. She almost died while she was pregnant. She uh, had our baby, Isaac, while he was... Uh, super premature, was told that he wasn't going to make it, was told he had a hole in his heart, he wouldn't live at all. They apologized because they misread the report. <laughs> God showed up, right? Highs and lows, then that part. <laughs> um, and then we'll go here and then we'll go back. All right, so the big thing I want to show in this graph is that if you look at an overarching scale, in math, you, you draw from the highest and the lowest. So my life has had a trend upwards. And so my advice I'll always give people when they talk about these encounters that they've had or they talk about living a life and they had to fight the same battles, I always tell them the same thing. Don't let your next low be as low as your last low and let your next high be higher than your last high. So your mountaintop should always be a higher mountain than you, try, than you achieve. You try to go to a higher mountain every time. And you tell yourself, I will not hit this low again. I do believe that every single person has their rock bottom that they hit. And I've got a lot of people in here that have testimonies that prove that they have hit their rock bottom and by God, they ain't going back there again. I got anybody in here that can testify to that? That, that ain't me no more? Unfortunately, some people's rock bottom is death. And I hate to say that, but it is true. Some people never hit their true rock bottom until it's too late. Um, and so that's what I tell people, all right? I don't know if I can erase this. Just, just the, uh, the middle part. Um, but what happens with, with, this is what I feel that God's generation today, our Christian walk, oh boy, Jessica has them real good dry erase boards. This is one that I found lying down on the back, so it's probably why it's one she doesn't use anymore. Um, anyway, so I feel like today's generation, it'll be all right, Serena. Nope, no, it won't. Um, today's generation, they live a different life, almost like an inverted graph, okay? So, and what I mean by that is, how many people have heard testimonies? And I'm not, I'm not, if you've done this, I'm not talking bad. It's just the way that it is. You hear their testimony that they give, and 90% of their testimony is the bad stuff. And then they talk about how Jesus saved them. Oh, praise God, I've been saved by Jesus. And their mountaintop experience is salvation. That's what today's Christian walk looks like. They start here with salvation. They have a mountaintop experience with God himself. And then their life is a constant decline. They have encounters, but they never reach as much as salvation is. And their overall decline is here. That is not the way that it's intended. Those people are looking at valleys as if God's not with them. That's why Psalms 23 says, you lead me beside still waters, that you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like, you are here everywhere that I go. There are so many scriptures. I mean, I would bet over a hundred scriptures that tells you, don't be afraid that I'm always with you. Joshua 1.9, don't, you know, don't be afraid I'm with you wherever you go. 
Today's Christians believe that he is only with them on the mountaintops and that he's not with them in the valleys. But I'm here to tell you that as we continue to walk our life, if you sow seeds of faith when you don't feel like you need to sow it, if you, if you get into the deep things of God when you're in the valley and not on a mountaintop experience, you're going to see rewards in your life. And those rewards are going to be overcoming the same garbage that you have to go through, unworthiness, you know, the addictions, the, the, the things that, anything that is opposite of the fruits of the Spirit, right? You got joy, love, peace. Opposite of those are hate, unhappiness, uh, not being patient, all of those things. Um, and it's just so sad to me to believe or to know. I mean, as I give this graph, everybody's everybody's shaking their head. Yeah, that's 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 the way that's the way that people are these days. Don't let your mountaintop experience be salvation. It's the opposite, guys. That should be the last thing you even talk about in your testimony. Almost, it should be what God's doing for you today. Yes, it's important. I'm not. This is not a. This is not a message on how to give your testimony. I'm just talking about how when you get to the end of your life and you're on your deathbed, and someone asks you, like, "What are you going to be remembered for? Are you going to be remembered for getting saved when you were 16 years old? Are you going to be remembered for leading 14 people to the Lord in your job? Are you going to be Are you going to be remembered for leading your kids to the Lord?" I'll tell you one thing. My life, my mental state is changing every single day because everything that's important is Isaac and Sophia. Like my goal now is to live a life for them outside of this church that they understand that I live a life of conviction. My goal is to walk through these valleys and to pull up the people beside me and build them up and, and, and walk this path that we call life together in Christ, and not leave him at the mountaintop. We're going back to uh, CFNI in a month or so, I think. Um, I know for a fact that everybody that goes is going to have a great encounter with God because they expect it. You see, they're not old enough to be calloused by these constant ups and downs. They're still being molded to understand that, yeah, I have valleys, but God's on the other side. Y'all don't get the, the, the joy of going somewhere where you get to separate yourself for a couple days from the world. Y'all don't get that y'all don't get that luxury very often. Most of you probably can't get away for that amount of time to go to something like this. So it takes more work for y'all to do it. And what it looks like is exactly my favorite scripture. I didn't give it to you, but if you want to put it up there it's Romans 12:1, but it's it's a daily renewal of your mind. Every single day that we wake up, we have to say, today is going to be a day that I'm going to live for God. It's an every single day process. You know, if, if you go one day like, ah, oh, I'm just not, you know, you forget about it, and then you do, you, I'll do it the next day, and then do it the next day, and then do it the next day. Well, in anything in your life, if you continue to procrastinate every little thing, by the end of the week, there is a mountain of things to do. If I don't wash the dishes one day and I say I'll do it the next, 
Our babies go through nine bottles a day. If I don't wash dishes for three days, <laughs> which I don't, <laughs> okay? Yeah. When I don't wash the dishes when I'm supposed to, I play dishwasher Jenga, trying to fit them all up there, and they're all dirty. Some of them got mold in them, then I'm having to boil these bottles, basically, to get all the mold out of it. If I just did a little bit every day, I'm preaching to myself here, guys. Serene's going to get on to me now. You should wash dishes tonight. I don't feel like it. That's the Christian walk. You know what you're supposed to do, and you know it's really not that hard. But then you're like, I don't want to. <laughs> Every single day needs to be a conscious effort to do something for Christ. If you go one day and you're like, you know what? I'm laying down. I didn't really do anything for him today. And I'm not trying to say that you got to heal people on the side of the road. Just a simple thing. I promise you, when you start small and you start sowing seeds in those valleys, it's fertile ground, guys, because it matters what we do in the valley. So stand to your feet. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for mountaintop experiences. I thank you that you...